Our second reading for this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said to him, I am going fishing. And the disciples called back to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered, no. He said to them, cast the net down the right side of the boat and you will find some there. And so they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes for he was naked and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of your fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them, and though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus had appeared to the disciples after he had been raised from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I was listening to a podcast this week about a world-famous harmonica player from the 40s named Larry Adler. The podcast shared that at one point in his life, through a bizarre chain of events, Adler wound up accompanying his friend John Weitz, who was a German intelligence officer on a military operation, to raid a house that they thought a group of ex-Nazi soldiers might be hiding out in after the war. The way that his friend John told the story, when they arrived at the house, they found eight German soldiers. Two of them fired gunshots at the operatives before they were killed, and the other six were captured. But when Adler recalled the story, his account was quite different. He said that what in fact took place was that when they burst into the house, there were no soldiers there at all. Just two older ladies, he said. No firing, no one was hurt in any way. So who was right? Well, no one actually knows. Adler and Weitz, they became close friends, but they would argue about what actually happened that day for the rest of their lives, each convinced that their version of what they remembered was the actual story. It's hard to believe that any two people could remember some event like that that was so unique so differently. But as Adler reflected throughout the course of his life on this conundrum, he made some interesting observations about the human memory. Memories are often unstable, he said. 
Events that happen can become distorted and embellished in our minds as time passes, sometimes intentionally and at other times quite unintentionally, until we can't legitimately distinguish what's fact from fiction anymore. Think about it. This has probably happened to you on some lesser level. Have you ever told a story about an experience that you had, convinced that your way of telling it was how it actually happened, when your spouse or your friend or your kid who was there follows up quickly on your account with this comment, that's not how it happened. That's not how I remember it. Well, as I listened to this podcast this week, I couldn't help but think about the four gospel accounts that we have about Jesus' life and ministry. Because while they all track along similar lines, they are different from each other. They contain conflicting narratives. They emphasize and embellish different details of the story. They even portray characters and events entirely differently or leave them out entirely. So which of the Gospels is most accurate, if any of them, and why are there so many differences? Did the Gospel writers simply remember the stories differently? And as time wore on, it was harder and harder to keep track of the details? Probably not. For one thing, because it's quite unlikely that any of the authors were actually eyewitnesses who knew Jesus personally, despite the fact that they often wrote in a way that made it sound as though they were telling firsthand accounts. They didn't write what they remembered. They wrote what they were told. Stories that were orally passed down They wrote them down because they thought they were important. And they wanted the generations that came after them to be able to tell those stories too. For another thing, getting all of the historical details right wasn't actually the primary concern the writers of the Gospels had in most of their storytelling. They told stories not necessarily to tell fact from fiction, but to inspire those they were writing to as they faced particular situations. They told stories to remind communities of their common identity and to help them figure out how Jesus would have wanted them to live in the midst of their challenging situations. And so inevitably, depending upon which communities were reading these stories, they were always told a little differently. For instance, the story we read for this morning in the Gospel of John the one where Jesus meets Peter and the other disciples out in the boat, helps them catch a boatload of fish after a very unsuccessful night at sea, and then invites them to a meal and reminds Peter that he's going to make his life more important and purposeful than Peter ever thought or could imagine. Well, this story is actually almost identical to a story that we find in Luke. Only in Luke's version, the story comes at the beginning of the gospel. The very first time Jesus calls Peter to step out of his boat, follow him, and embark on a new journey to become fishers of people. But in John's version, it comes at the end. It's the very last conversation that Peter and Jesus have face to face after Peter has watched Jesus die an excruciating death. As he was reeling in regret for the choices that he made to deny Jesus on three different occasions, and while he struggled to know what direction his life would now take, where does this story actually fall in the historical timeline? 
Did an event like this one happen on two different occasions? Or did it only happen once and the authors took creative liberties? Did the authors create these striking parallels between these stories intentionally and for a purpose, or was it done on accident? I guess no one really knows for sure. But I'm also not sure it entirely matters all that much. In the same way that these stories were written to inspire communities who faced their present circumstances, we tell them today for the exact same reason. We tell them not because we claim to know fact from fiction, but because as we wonder about these stories and as we ask questions about them together, we believe that they can offer us a kind of wisdom that we need to face our challenges today. As I thought about this story this week, I couldn't help but wonder what if Jesus had come to Peter on two different occasions and in almost exactly the same way? What if he came to Peter at the very beginning of their relationship when Peter was still bright-eyed and expectant in his faith at all that God had promised him? And then again, Much later, after Peter had been walking with Jesus for a while, only to find himself back in the hopeless boat he thought he had found his way out of, after he had learned that there was really no amount of faith that would save him from experiencing some of the hardest realities that life could dish out or that he could bring upon himself. I wonder if Jesus chose to be with Peter, not only at the beginning, in his best moments, but in his worst and his most disappointing ones too. If Jesus stepped out onto the shore and graciously gave Peter a dose, a heavy dose of deja vu, came to him as clearly and as faithfully as he did the first time, practically drowning his boat in fish and inviting him to a meal in order to remind him that no matter what he had done or left undone, no matter how he had failed or the world had failed him, no matter how screwed up things got, Jesus wasn't going anywhere. Not really. And neither was the promise of God that was given to Peter or the call that was put on his life at the start. If we consider the possibility that these two encounters with Jesus bookended the story we have of Peter in the Gospels, a powerful and hopeful message seems to emerge, I think. One that is universally human and maybe even necessary for those of us who also know a thing or two about facing into our most disappointing and painful seasons of life. It's that despite Peter's own faithlessness and decision to turn away from Jesus, Jesus just never turned away from Peter. In his greatest moments of disappointment and failure, there seemed to be a divine love that Jesus embodied in the story for Peter's life, one that was with him all the way through from beginning to end, in his proudest moments and in his most painful, that would never let him go, even when he got it wrong or things were messed up beyond repair. And I wonder if telling the story in this way provide something of value for us today. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about food, bread and figs, olive oil, and today, fish. We've been talking about these stories, but what we've been actually talking about 
is how we live. When we come to the table of God and we eat our fill of bread, we consider, are we prepared to encounter the relationships that meet us at this table? Do we embrace that we were created to be in relationship with God and ourselves and our earthly neighbors, and do we accept the responsibility we have to care for life? Or do we live disconnected and broken and busy? And do we fail to live out the call to become people who participate in healing? At the special session of our annual conference in Greater New Jersey yesterday, our bishop of this conference reminded us that in the Shalom community, in the kingdom of God, when one hurts, we all hurt. When one is held back from being fully alive, we are all held back from being fully alive. When one is discriminated against or goes uncared for, we are all impacted because we are all connected. When we gather together in community, our faith stories remind us that we are called to live our lives differently than the rest of the world in our relationships, in how we care about the planet, in the ways that we embrace people who are different from us, whether in inability or sexuality or gender or race or ethnicity or economic status, and in how we speak about our neighbors in and outside of these four walls. But perhaps like Peter, we haven't always lived into that call very well. We've screwed up. We've fallen short. We've contributed to the destruction of others. We've made a mess of things. As the church, there are times, maybe we're living in them right now, when good people of faith fall short and disappoint and fail to live into the call of God. Maybe we haven't spoken up when we should have, or we haven't worked for justice and peace and equity for all people as hard as we could, or maybe we use words that have harmed instead of healed. But the good news today, at least in the version of the story that we've told, the good news is that in our greatest moments of disappointment and failure, in the church's greatest moments of disappointment and failure, All hope is not lost because there is a divine love that refuses to let us go, that reaches out to us when we don't want to reach back, that commits itself to you and to me. It's a grace that keeps inviting us in and making a way for us to live differently. We are invited into new life as firmly today as when you and I first heard the call. As we gather with each other, as we participate in practices like telling our stories of faith and blessing animals and eating and praying, these practices remind us that we are connected in community, that we are a family, and we are called by God to live together in a way that is different from the way the rest of the world seems to be living right now. And you know, we don't always get it right. And sometimes we make a mess of things, but at the end of the day, the good news is that Jesus is still calling us to the table to taste and see the grace of God that goes before us and goes with us and that is always giving us new opportunities to live out the call on our lives to care for each other 
in the ways that God intends and inspires and aspires us to. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we come before you this day and we confess that as people of faith, we don't always get it right. And we are so thankful for the stories of our faith that remind us that we don't have to, that we need to do our best, that we need to continually be growing and learning about what it means to open up our lives to your love so that we may love others more perfectly than we currently do. But God, we also recall, we remember that your grace meets us in this moment right where we are and gives us a new opportunity this day to gather at your table, to look around and to see who's in our community and to accept the call that you put on our lives, to become responsible for each other, to care for each other, to honor and respect each other, those who gather this day and those who gather in spaces in our world outside of this church. God, give us courage and strength to live into the call that you have put on our lives and renew us this day. In God's name we pray. And all God's people said together, amen.